Welcome to the Flanagan Baptist Church podcast for March 27th, 2011. This is part six of our series called Homewreckers. Life is complicated. There are lots of things clamoring and screaming for our attention and the involvement of our families. But we can't possibly do everything. So what things matter the most? How do we know which priorities are the right priorities? Here's part six with Pastor Scott Roberson entitled Misplaced Priorities. designed for the family so that our families can be happy and strong and uh, not get wrecked. And we have spent several weeks now where we've been working our way through uh, in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapters 5 and 6 looking at God's instructions for husbands and wives and children and parents. And last time we saw how parents especially fathers, need to avoid exasperating their children because that can definitely wreck a home. And I want to begin by looking at that verse again and using it to focus our attention on something else that parents need to avoid because it can also have disastrous effects on the family. So Ephesians 6, verse 4 And there's a note sheet in your folder. You can use that to follow along. Take some notes. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I want to take just a couple minutes and have you think with me about that word Lord for a minute. It's referring to Jesus Christ here, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what that word means. If you've been coming to church for a while, you know, you hear the word Lord a lot, but what does that really mean? Well, what it means is amazing. It means that the Lord is the one who is ultimately in charge. This means that Jesus Christ is number one in this universe. It means that he rules. Jesus rules. People say all kinds of stuff rule, but ultimately Jesus rules. Um, And it means that in this battle between good and evil going on in our world, uh, he is going to win. And it means that he has all authority over everything and everyone, including you and me. Take a look at something Jesus says in Luke 6, 46. <laughs> Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That's one of those questions that there's really no good way to answer that. You know, kind of like when parents catch their children doing something, and they say, why are you doing that? And you think, well, I don't have, there's no good answer here. Uh, because it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all to call Jesus Lord and not do what he says. Because if you call him Lord, you're saying that you believe something. You're saying that you believe he's in charge. You believe that he has the wisdom and he has the right to tell you what to do and you have the responsibility to do it. That's what it means to call him Lord. 
So going back to Ephesians 6.4, to bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord, it means teaching them, training them that Jesus is Lord. And they ought to do what he says. They ought to follow his leadership. They ought to adopt his priorities. Now guess how we do that as parents? Guess how we do it? Guess how we train our children to adopt the priorities of Jesus for their lives? Well, we do it by adopting his priorities for our lives. That's really how we do it. It's how we live that has the biggest impact on what our children learn. It's how we live. I mean, Jesus makes that point. It's really not what we say that proves what we really believe. It's, it's how we live. And how we live has the biggest impact. And you've already experienced this if you're a parent and your children have reached a certain age where they can begin doing what you do. And so life will just be going along smoothly. Everything's great. And all of a sudden, your little darling will say something or do something that's completely unacceptable, and you will stare at them in consternation, and you will wonder, where in the world did they learn that? Where where did she learn that? And then it will dawn on you. Oh, yeah. That sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah, he learned it from me. This is going to be frustrating, but it turns out that our example is a much more effective teacher than our words are. So, if we're going to bring up our children in the training and instruction of the Lord, in other words, if we're going to teach our children that Jesus is Lord, then we have to show them what it looks like to adopt his priorities, to follow his priorities. So I've labeled today's homewrecker is misplaced priorities. Because families who do not follow the priorities of Jesus are in great danger of being wrecked. So what are his priorities? Well, there's a sense in which God gave us the whole Bible to answer that question. I mean, God gave us the Bible so that we could know him and know his priorities. But that's a big book, and we're not going to get through it all today. So what helps us here is that some priorities are foundational. Some, fa- some priorities are basic. In other words, some priorities help you when you get them to learn and to discern and practice and apply all the other priorities you need. It's kind of like if you learn something like music. And there are some basics that you learn when you, when you learn music, and you learn the basics of pitch and tempo and musical notation. And once you, you grasp those basics, those foundational priorities, then those enable you to learn everything else you need to know. So today we're going to look at some basic priorities for families that will help us get the rest of our priorities right. And we are going to see these in the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, and verses 6 through 13. Some basic priorities for the family. And I say for the family because 
The Apostle Paul, who wrote this, he talks to people like a parent talking to his own children. And as he does this, he models for us these priorities that really, if we're a parent, or really if we have any influence at all on on other people, on uh, some leadership influence, maybe we're a teacher, maybe we're an aunt or an uncle, a grandparent, these basic priorities that we need to model and teach to our children. So we're going to pick it up in verse 6. And Paul here is writing to these people whom he, he deeply loves. Uh, he founded this church some years earlier. And he's writing to them and he's reminding them of the time when he, Paul, and his co-workers came to their town of Thessalonica in order to share with them the good news about Jesus. And he talks about the conduct that he and his co-workers demonstrated while they were there. So we're picking it up in chapter 2, verse 6. Second part of the verse. As apostles of Christ, he says, as messengers of the king, we could have been a burden to you. In other words, we could have expected you to do lots of stuff for us because we were representing the king. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. There's the first parental kind of reference. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God which is at work in you who believe. Three basic priorities for the family. The first is the priority of God's people. The priority of God's people. And what I mean here is the priority of getting significantly connected to a church family. Building, pursuing, developing, maintaining meaningful, significant relationships with a group of people who are united by a common connection to Jesus Christ. Because that's what a church is. Contrary to what lots of folks would think, church is not a building, it's not a program, and it's not a business. It's a group of people. A group of people who have one main thing in common. They have all responded positively to what Paul calls here the gospel 
of God. The good news. That's what gospel means. Good news from God, about God, about all that God has done to give us relationship with himself through the coming of Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection on our behalf. A church is a group of Jesus followers who unite together as a spiritual family to help each other follow him. And everybody needs that. Everybody needs that. Moms need that. Dads need that. Grandmas and grandpas need that. Kids need that. They need that connection. But one of the most common mistakes that Christian families make is to put this connection with church way down on their list of priorities. And I'm not talking here about just going to church. I'm talking about getting connected in a meaningful way with a church family. The kids get connected and and the parents get connected and everybody gets connected relationally, trying to build and develop those meaningful connections. But see, for many Christians in our culture, this just isn't that important. But it was hugely important to these people. Now realize, Paul's talking to a church here. Verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the relationships that this group developed with each other, with Paul, with his companions, they were meaningful. They became friends. They became partners as they grew in their relationship with Christ and as they, they sought to work together to accomplish his mission that he had given them. I mean, notice the way Paul describes these relationships here. Verse 7, we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. Actually, the original language is even stronger than that. The word here, mother, actually means nursing mother. And I just have to tell you that as a guy, that really freaks me out. I mean, give me some power tools. Give me something to fix. You know, do not compare me to a nursing mother, all right? Please. (laughs) But see, the point he's making here is people really matter. People are what really matter. Uh, Paul is talking about a love that genuinely cares about people. A love that is protective of people. A love that genuinely wants people to grow, to be nurtured, to be healthy. Imagine if church really meant people with that kind of love. Many of you are doing that, and it's awesome. But if... Instead, we think of church as a place to go on Sunday morning, as a Sunday morning thing to do. We're not thinking. We're not thinking like Jesus. We're not thinking like the Bible, and our priorities need to be adjusted. Now, I know you expect me to say this. 
See, I know what's going on in some of you. You hear me talk about the importance of church, and you just think, yeah, here he goes again. See, yeah, okay, yeah, it's important to get involved in church. It's important to get... Of course I'm a cheerleader for the church. Of course I am. It's my job. I mean, I only get paid as long as people keep coming to church. I want to tell you something as sincerely as I can, okay? I did not become pro-church after becoming a pastor. And I figured out, oh, I better get people on board with this thing because I need people to come. That's not how it happened. I became pro-church first. And then I became a pastor partly because I was pro-church, because I saw that the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. And the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. How important is a bride to a bridegroom? And I saw the Bible calls the church the people of God and the temple of the Holy Spirit. When I tell you, when I tell you that you need to make a priority out of getting yourself and your family significantly involved in church, I'm not telling you that because I need your money. I'm telling you that because it's one of the Lord's main priorities for your life. It's what the Lord wants you to do for your good and for the good of your family. Even if it's not this church, that's okay. As long as it's a real church, a church that preaches the gospel of God, a church that genuinely honors Jesus Christ, that's fine, that's cool. But we need the kind of friendships and partnerships that Paul is describing here. We need those to become what God wants us to become. We need them to be able to do what God wants us to do. We've got to do it together. We cannot do it alone. And the way our kids will get this is if mom and dad get this and they model it and they teach it and they make it happen. Look at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Again, written to a church. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day of judgment, the day of Christ's return as you see it approaching. See, church is not supposed to be merely one activity in a long list of activity. It's an activity that we can frequently skip if we have something else to do. Instead, church is supposed to be a family that we regularly gather with in order to give and receive the encouragement we need to live the way Jesus calls us to live in this world. Do you need encouragement to do that? Where are you going to get it? I need it. You need it. We need to be giving it to each other. But I'll tell you what I've seen a lot. I've been doing this for a while. I've seen this a lot. Again and again, I've seen families make a higher priority 
out of getting their kids involved in sports and other activities, make a higher priority of that above getting them involved and connected into a church family. And don't misunderstand, I'm not against sports. I'm not against activities. Those things are great. But to prioritize those things above meaningful connection in a church family, that teaches kids a lesson that I don't think the parents intend to teach. Here's what parents think kids learn from that priority structure. They think the kid learns, well, if you're going to be involved in sports, sometimes you have to miss church. That's not what they learn. What they learn is that gathering with a church family in worship and in partnership and in friendship is optional if you have anything else you'd rather do. Whether it's sports or anything else, that's the lesson they pick up. And what I've seen is that kids raised with that priority structure frequently, eventually, walk away from church. Because it's just not that important. It's not that important to them because they don't have friends there. And the reason they don't have those friends and those connections is because the family never invested the regular, consistent time and energy it takes to develop those connections. We need to make a priority out of God's people. Our families need that. Our kids need that. Priority number two, basic priority. This is the priority of God's reputation. Living for God's reputation. Verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Lives worthy of God. What does that mean? What does it mean to live a life worthy of God? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that if you try hard enough and live a good enough life, that God will consider you worthy of him and let you into heaven. That's not it. That's not the good news that Paul proclaimed and the good news that these people believe. The good news is not that you have to earn God's favor, because that would not be good news at all. Uh, the good news isn't that you have to earn God's favor. The good news is that because of Jesus Christ, God gives us his favor without us earning it. When we simply put our trust in Jesus Christ and receive him into our lives. And if, you, if you've been to church before or not, and you've never understood that, you've never grasped that, oh, please hear that. It is not about how to get yourself good enough for God. It's about receiving a free gift that God gives us, the gift of his favor in his son because of all his son did for us. Back in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul talks about us waiting for God's son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That's a reference to his death and resurrection. Jesus, who 
rescues us from the coming wrath, the coming judgment. Now notice, who rescues us from judgment? Jesus does. We don't rescue ourselves by living a good enough life. It doesn't work that way. So that's not what living a life worthy of God means. What does it mean? It's not living to earn God's favor. It's living because we have it. We have his favor through his son, Jesus Christ. And we want others to know him. And we want others to love him. And we want others to honor him because of who he is. And because we trust him. And we, we want to rely on his Holy Spirit, because we know we can't do it by ourselves. We want to rely on his Holy Spirit to do what he says. Remember, Jesus is Lord. It means doing what he says. And we, we can't do that by ourselves, so we want to rely on him to follow his directions, to bring attention to his goodness. That's what it means to live a life worthy of God. It means having a concern for God's reputation because we represent him. Pastor D. James Kennedy, who's now with the Lord, used to be pastor for many years at uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida, used to tell the story about Alexander the Great, the great king and emperor who ruled over uh, an amazing amount of the world. The story goes that that one night, Alexander was up very late, and he was walking around, and he came across one of his soldiers on guard duty who was asleep. And the penalty for falling asleep on guard duty was usually death. But he looked at this young man, and he, he, he felt compassion for him. So he woke him up, and the guy was terrified. And the king asked him, as, do you know what the penalty for sleeping on duty is? And he said, yes, sir. So the king looked him at him and said, what, what is your name? And the soldier replied, it's Alexander, sir. And at this, the king just became visibly angry. And he said, what is your name? It's Alexander, sir. And the king stared him right in the eye and said, Soldier, either change your conduct or change your name. (laughs) It's probably a legend, but it makes the point. When you bear the name of someone great, their reputation is affected by how you live. I mean, how many people... How many people have a poor opinion of Jesus? Not because of anything Jesus said or did, but because of things people have said or done in his name. And that's why Paul urges these people to live lives worthy of God. Paul wasn't worried about his own reputation, which is what fathers often care about. You know, he's talking about being a father to these folks. Like a father, he treated them. He's not concerned mainly about his own reputation, he was calling his spiritual children to a much higher standard, to live as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, representing him. That's the name we bear. We represent God's family. 
So we ought to have high expectations for our kids. You know, loving your kids and, and being kind and gracious to your kids does not mean having low expectations for them. We ought to have high expectations. We ought to let them know what they are. Paul did that. I mean, he urged his spiritual children to live lives worthy of God. I mean, how big of a, how high of an expectation is that? And we should do the same thing. We should have high expectations as long as they're backed up with lots and lots of love and grace. I mean, that's what good dads do, according to Paul. They encourage, they, they uh, comfort, they urge. Look at it. Uh, they give encouragement, you know. Ah, come on, you can do it. You can do it. I know you can do it. I believe in you. You, you can do this. Comfort. Comfort in the face of failure, apparently. You know? Come on, everybody, everybody blows it. Everybody stumbles now and again. I still love you. Get up. Come on. Do it again. Try it again. And above all, good dads provide an example to follow. Paul did that. He says, you know how we lived among you. We showed you how to do it. We showed you. We need to do that for our kids. We need to show them how to trust Christ. We need to show how to live for his glory. Not to earn his approval, but because we already have it. We need to make a priority out of living for God's reputation. One more. And that's the priority of God's word. Priority of God's people, priority of God's reputation, priority of God's word. Verse 13, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, as you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And this is really the most foundational priority of all, because if you treat the word of God as it actually is, the word of God, then the other priorities fall in place. But realize what this means, <laughs> treating God's word as really God's word. It means understanding that this is not just human opinion. God used men to write this, but the message, the teaching, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about everything the Bible records because it records lots of bad stuff that people did, but the message, the teaching, the message God wanted to give us, it comes ultimately from him, not from men. It's not mere human opinion. And treating God's word as God's word also means doing more than simply reading it, studying it, memorizing it. Those things are all good things. They're all important things. But as those who opposed Jesus proved, you can know God's word forward and backward mentally and it still not do you one bit of good. This verse talks about receiving and accepting. That means welcoming into your life. It means treasuring this message. The psalmist says, more than much fine gold. Hey, yeah, gold's okay. But you know, the Bible, God's message, that's really valuable. Treasuring it and embracing it as, as life-giving. 
as life-changing. Notice how Paul says God's work is at work in you who believe. God's word changes you if you trust it enough to act on it. God's word transforms you if you rely on it. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It'll get down to the very motives of your heart. So make a priority out of receiving God's word as God's word. If you really believe it, it'll change your life. And it will give you and your family the priorities that you need to be happy, to be strong, and to live a life that honors the Lord Jesus. Let's bow together and and pray. I just want to give you a moment uh, to talk to the Lord yourself. I've certainly never heard a message on priorities where after I've heard it, I think, oh yeah, I'm good. There's usually at least one thing that the Lord speaks to my heart and says, you know, your uh, priorities are a little out of whack there, son. You need to make some adjustments. So I I don't know what adjustments you may want to make today that you need to make that you feel the Lord uh, has spoken to you about. But I want to give you just a moment to, to talk to the Lord Jesus about that. Uh, to tell him you're sorry if your priorities have been wrong and receive his forgiveness. It's so abundant. And realize he wants you to follow his priorities, not because he likes making you do stuff you don't want to do, but because he really cares about you. He loves you. He wants you to know life the way he means it to be. And just tell him. Ask him for his help. And if today you've never come to that place of realizing that uh, it's not about how good you are, it's about whether or not Jesus is in your life and whether or not you've received him. Uh, Today, you could just invite him in. Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you know you need him. You can't do it on your own and accept him. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Become a part of God's family if you're not. So let's, let's just pray and I'll give you a minute or two and then I'll close. Uh, Father, we, we live in a world that just is constantly clamoring for our attention and wanting us to build our lives around all kinds of priorities And Lord, there's lots of good things we can do in our lives. But Father, help us not neglect the main things, the really important things.
Uh, Lord, when we stand before you and give account for our lives, help us to be able to say, to the best of my ability, Lord, I tried to do it your way. And Father, just pour out your grace on us, uh, forgiveness for when we fail, and may we help each other follow you. We pray in your great name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Flight of Baptist Church podcast. To stay connected or for more resources, visit our brand new website at flida.org.